Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Chicago Bullseye. In the interim since our last show, the Bulls ended their relationship with Jim Boylan. As a listener to the Bullseye, I'm sure you already know my feelings about Jim. Uh, he's a nice guy, but he also was the most incompetent head coach that I've ever witnessed in my years following this team. He's not head coaching stock. He's an NBA assistant. That's a great living. I wish him the best. He'll make more money than most people will make in their lifetime until his guaranteed money runs out with this Bulls contract. And hopefully he'll join Tibbs in New York and help that team continue their miserable run. Draft lottery tonight. Most of you know by now who listen to the show or follow me on Twitter have heard my prophecy is seven. I must say I'm not enamored with the players I've watched so far in this draft. The bus player could easily be picked at seven. I like Obi Poppin the best out of the players I've seen so far. But I do need to do a lot more work and evaluation. Regardless, let's hope the Bulls get a higher pick than seven to ensure that they get the player they want. So you're about to hear an interview with a rising star in the Bulls media world, Rob Schaefer. I'm a big fan of his work on NBC Sports Chicago. You can catch him on Bulls Talk, where I think he's fantastic. You can also read his work on the NBC Sports Chicago app. We recorded this a night or so before Boylan was fired, so I had to remove that section. But we did have a wide-ranging conversation on Rondo, Jimmy Butler. um, Would you still make that trade again? his top 20, and most importantly, his top 20, uh, 2020 draft prospects. So I hope you enjoy it, and stay safe, and Godspeed. I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of Chicago Bullseye. We have a first-time guest here, a guy who I happen to be a big fan of. I love his uh, insight and input on uh, Bulls Talk podcast, one of my favorites to listen to. I recommend everyone who listens to this show to, to make sure you download that one. Rob Schaefer. Rob, it's great to have you on the Chicago Bullseye for the first time. Yeah, Fred, it's good to be here. It's uh, good to talk to you. I'm a, I'm a fan of yours as well. Um, and, yeah, I, it's kind of my first year on the Chicago media scene and I gotta say, it's an honor, and this feels like one of my uh, one of my landmark "I made it" moments in Chicago <laughs> media. I got I got to t- I'm, I'm not even I'm not even bullshitting you. Well, oh, I, I didn't even ask if I could curse. Can I curse on here? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'll edit <laughs> it go. out at a later date. I gotta tell you, man, I, I am shocked to hear your age. I don't want to share it with anyone else because you're so wise beyond your years. I usually judge the intelligence and and quality of commentary by how many times I nod my head. And when you usually speak, I'm like, yeah, this guy's uh is absolutely right. You make a good point here. But uh, I don't know if that's good for you or bad, but overall I agree with the vast majority of things that you have to say in that pod, and I think all of it's insightful. Why don't you give the listeners a little 411 on where you're from uh, and how you got to Chicago and, and, and you know currently a star on the uh, media scene here. Sure, yeah. So I'm actually not from Chicago originally. Some people are surprised um, to hear that. I'm from the East Coast, I'm from Connecticut, Mm-hmm. Um, a suburb called Brantford. It's right outside of New Haven. Um, so I, I made my way out to Illinois. I went to um, school. I majored in journalism at Northwestern. I uh, covered the football and basketball teams there, which was a lot of fun and uh, formative, educational, and uh, all that good stuff. Um, and then I you know, landed a gig at uh, NBC Sports Chicago out of school, which was great, um, and have uh, worked my way up to being um, a Bulls reporter under Casey Johnson. It's a lot of fun. Uh, this is my first year out here. Um, and it's been an eventful one to be sure, but, um, 
it's yeah. it's been cool. It's it's been cool to uh, get in the grind of it. Met a lot of great people. Um, and you know, however bad it gets, it's always fun to be around basketball and talking about basketball every day. So can't can't complain too much. We well, are in great hands with Anderson and Casey Johnson and the crew over there at NBC Sports. I mean, no doubt. Can't have no a doubt. better group to, to start to learn from. In Connecticut, what did you? What teams did you grow up on being a fan of? Usually, most people I met out there were New York fans. Oh, so that's so that's interesting. I've I've kind of dodged in my uh, in my public interactions revealing too much about this, uh, but I'll I'll give it to you. In in Connecticut, it's interesting. A lot of people will choose either the New York or the um, Massachusetts area allegiances. Yeah. I'm a little split down the middle. I, I don't have an explanation for it. If you hate me for it, I don't blame you. Uh, it's what I inherited. So on the uh, on the football and baseball side, I'm New York Giants and New York Yankees, res- uh, respectively. Okay. Um, and then for basketball, I grew up a, uh, a Boston Celtics fan. So it's, oh. it's sacrilege. It's blasphemous. <laughs> it's terrible. But uh, it's you know you can't help you can't help how you're raised. So do you remember their title? And was it 08? Uh, I think it was 08. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I I I have memories from before that too. I have vague memories from kind of the the Paul Pierce carrying them on his back for the majority of the 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 aughts, uh, the Antoine Walker years, and Ricky Davis. I, I have vague memories of that. Um, I kind of came into my own as a basketball fan, and uh, then later a, a thinker. Um, watching those big three era teams, fell in love with the game through them, and uh, a college basketball fan as well. Um, being from Connecticut, UConn is is uh, oh, yeah. it's absolutely it's the the church of UConn basketball in Connecticut. So the, those two were big in my in my formative basketball years. Do you remember the the knot in your stomach when uh, the the three alphas in April of two thousand and seventeen took a two <laughs> zero lead on your beloved Celtics? Do, do you remember uh, that feeling? I, I do. I went to game three. Um, and oh, I will God. tell you, as a Rajon Rondo respecter for life, I, in my, if I can tap back into my guttural fan instincts and kind of think about who scares me the most on a basketball court, I, I am a sneaky believer in that the Bulls might have won that series if Rondo doesn't get hurt. I, I'm not, I'm not sure because I, there was always the question of were they going to be able to close it out. Um, but I certainly wouldn't argue with you if you made that argument, well, that's, uh, the, yeah. the, if Rondo doesn't get hurt. That's the correct answer. I was actually in Boston for the first two games, tried to get in the stadium and couldn't, couldn't get in. Uh, and I spent it, I got, actually got kicked out of, of a bar in Boston after saying, uh, I shouted out, they had enough of me. I was wearing a Ben Gordon Jersey. And then I finally, the, the comment that got me kicked out was Bob Cousy couldn't make a, a Division Three team today, and then they kicked me out of the bar. That well, you're 100% right about that. And I would I would, I would, have loved you. I would have loved you for the Ben Gordon jersey with the UConn cross-section. That's easily my favorite bowl of all time. So we, we would have been friends if we'd the, run into each other that I night. love the guy. Well, it's, it's so good to hear, though, a knowledgeable fan finally admit that the delta between Rondo and the uh, sheer amount of trash they had as the backup point guards on that team – was like the Grand Canyon, you know. I mean, like I just felt like we had those first two games so much in hand, and then Game Three was like a, another team, you know. And it was yeah. clear it wasn't going to happen then. But it's interesting that you said that. I do have to bring this up. Game Three was a game I lost belief in Jimmy Butler. That was the worst game I've ever seen from a superstar in Chicago sports history. You have to at that point. You got a team two zero. You got to step up and put you know the foot on the neck. And he was absolutely awful. Do you remember the feeling of watching that game? Do you remember how bad his performance was? I don't remember having any um, kind of earth-shattering impressions of, of Jimmy from that game. I, I do remember I remember the lineup adjustment of putting Gerald Green on the Boston side into the starting lineup and that seeming to, to make a difference in the spacing of everything and obviously having Rondo 
um, not in there, freed up uh, Isaiah a little bit more. I don't remember having earth-shattering impressions of Jimmy from that game. Maybe it was being at the game live, and mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily following along um, on Twitter or watching the box score or anything like that. But, um, no, I, I don't have any memories of him being um, completely abhorrent. Uh, but that's interesting. Quick gander to the box score will reveal it, it was actually much worse. He, he scored a little bit at the end, but oh, I don't even want to remember that. But anyhow, let's go on to uh, <laughs> We're going to get other, more painful topics. Yeah, some I'm more sure, painful topics. Yeah. I want to start out with a tweet that I took a lot of heat for, and I know you're kind of like one of the big Tib defenders. So I'd like to get your opinion on this, this, this uh, tweet I had earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Gasol and Butler were all-stars in 2015. Rose did not make the team. Tibbs' team did, did not have three All-Stars on a team due to injuries. So I, one step back, I had an original tweet mentioning that Pippen, Grant, and B.J. Armstrong, that was the only time in the 93-94 season that the Bulls had three players named to an All-Star team. And then everybody was like, what about the Tibbs team? And they never had it. They never had one year where all you know, three of their better players made the team. Yeah. Um, so then the remainder of the tweet said uh, – the Tibbs teams did not have three All-Stars on a team due to injuries, Noah's decline in 14-15, and his inexplicable limits on Korver, who subsequently made an All-Star team with Coach Bud in 2015. When I say something like that, what's your, what's your opinion on that era? Do you think like a comment like that is fair, that uh, you know, I was subtly trying to put a little uh, criticism on, on our head coach? What, what's your, I'd like to get your feedback on that era and Tibbs in general. Sure. Well, it was interesting, the, the, the B.J. Horace uh, nugget, surprised me because you would just think that one of the three P teams would have three all-stars. But really when you think about it, there was a drop off from Michael Scotty to, to the rest of the uh, roster in terms of star power. It doesn't mean they're not great teams, but so that was initially surprising to me. Um, and then to hear that the Tibbs teams never had three all-stars also surprising because although it never lined up, they always had three all-star caliber players. I would say, I think that's kind of a, a fair assessment of it, but um, obviously Dang and Joe, I think make two all-star teams in that, tenure and rose makes three uh but joe and dang's uh i think both of joe's might have lined up with rose injury years and dang had one line up with the first AL. um so i was a little surprised to see that uh, it certainly you know it is a glaring reality from the era um joe's decline it, it was precipitous and it was uh, completely observable and noticeable uh, i don't put all of that on tibbs i am a t- i am pro tibbs I, I i am a defender of him in the sense that I don't think it's fair to put all of the injury onus um, on him, although I'm happy to criticize him for leaving Derek in the, the Philadelphia game in 2012. I'm more than happy to pan that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it seemed to me when the players that got the heaviest workloads were the horses that he had. And it, it always seemed to be kind of a mutual um, agreement there uh, from my from my seat. Uh, in terms of Corver, I, 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 so I mentioned that I did a little bit of homework. I'm going to mention that off air. I did listen to your last interview with um, with Sylvie. And I, I thought you guys had an interesting conversation about Corver because I do agree with you. There's definitely a, a an aspect where he could have been utilized more, but to act like he was the the missing piece to those teams, the the last edge that would have brought them over, I don't think is entirely right. And to invoke the All Star team thing, I've always thought of that All Star selection for Corver as a little bit of a a um, a recognition of the team he was on that 61 Atlanta team that got swept by LeBron in the conference finals. So that's how that ended. Um, but to, you know, I, I don't know if he becomes that player in Chicago, although I do agree with you that, you know, 15 minutes a game in the 2011 Eastern conference finals is probably a little bit under what they, what they could have played in there. Yeah. I, I counter with one of your comments, like, you know, Tibbs only ran with what he could have, like, 
2012, Dang led the league in minutes played, I believe. Either average minutes played or total minutes played, one or the other. And I would argue, as backups that season, he had um, he had Kyle Korver, he had Ronnie Brewer, and he had Jimmy Butler, rookie. I, I don't think you can go another 20 years and find three better backups at the three, potentially. Why is Luol Dang leading the league in minutes? You know, like, that's my whole thing. It's It's just like he did have options. He just didn't always use them. And I don't think Jimmy Butler would have made the jump if they didn't remove Luol Deng from the roster. I mean, that yeah. was that was clear. Like, there was a recent interview where he was talking about how he's running his offense through Deng in 2000, I think it was 2014 or 2014-15 season before he was traded. Or no, 2013-14 season. Take that back. He got traded. But, he, you know, he, the team was 14-18 and 18 until he got traded. Yeah. Like, you know, clearly played favorites and – I don't want to diminish it. He clearly changed the culture here, and he did a lot of great things. But all my all my reasons are with with Tibbs. My problems with Tibbs it just comes down to this. I think he put regular season wins against long term player health, and I just think that's an unforgivable sin. Yeah, fair. I, I think the stubbornness is the other side of the coin of him that that you can't really excuse, and that led to a lot of the pitfalls. And the way that you frame it right there, the regular season wins over long term um, sustainability in terms of health. I think that's a, a totally fair way to. To frame it, and it's just a symptom of, and I think it's what ailed him in, in Minnesota in a lot of ways, is this kind of maniacal drive within him that makes him a great coach. It makes him, you know, one of the most prepared guys in the league um, on a nightly basis. Um, it's what makes people around the league respect him so much, but it also, I think, can cloud um, some things in his strategic planning. It's why it, it that's why the fit um, of him as a coach at the same time as being a president of basketball operations. Uh, probably from the start, we should have known um, that those were not going to be um, compatible positions for him. And beyond the fact that just those two positions in general are not two posts that you can hold at the same time. Coaches are supposed to be thinking immediate, thinking about winning tomorrow, and uh, front office members are supposed to be thinking about the future. So I, 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 that, that is a valid criticism that I definitely couldn't push back too much on. I'd like to get your opinion on how you think he's going to do in New York. Like, I would argue that you know, his, his his former agent is, is is now making the personnel decisions. Like, is he going to say no to Tibbs? I, I, I don't understand why people think this is a good thing in terms of Tibbs obviously failed in terms of, you know, uh, who to have on the team, right? And as far as uh, the structure of the team, the players to bring in. And I just don't foresee a minute where this is going to end well in terms of bringing in players because I don't see Rose saying no to his former client, like, do you, do you concur or do you think it's going to end up well? That's interesting. I, I, I'm optimistic only because um, I think depending on the dynamic of their relationship, there could also be a level of trust there where maybe he feels like he can. That obviously didn't exist in Minnesota and it didn't exist by the end of his time in Chicago. Um, so I think if it's going to work out, it would have to be a situation where Tibbs can trust Leon Rose and World Wide West and everybody else that they're staffing that front office there with that Tibbs can trust them to kind of take all of the front office responsibilities off his plate and he can solely uh, focus on coaching. That's the way that it works out. Uh, a bigger concern for me, though, um, in terms of the way it goes wrong, is that roster. I mean, there just aren't many rosters in the NBA that I would less rather have than that Knicks roster right now. I think it's them and the Cavs uh, pretty much in the basement of the league in terms of talent. Um, and not just not having talent. It's completely mismatched and uneven. I don't know how those pieces fit together at all. Um, the, one, the one saving grace of that is I do think Mitchell Robinson is a very – Tibbsian player, a dude that he could do a lot with, um, especially given the way that, that he coaches. So, you know, maybe there's a little nugget of something there. 
Um, I'm optimistic, um, especially because I think the Tibbs move uh, imbues a, a win-now strategy on the entire rebuild. So it wouldn't surprise me if this offseason or next they're cashing in big chips looking to make um, you know, big splash trades or signings now. Now whether that sets them up for long-term success would remain to be seen. Um, but if Tibbs has shown anything, it's that he's good for a win spike within the first couple of years. It's just what happens after that three or four year mark. Yeah. Uh, that is always the question. And, you know, obviously we had a trade with when Tibbs was running Minnesota where, you know, we, we were able to get Zach Levine and Laurie Markinen and, uh, uh, Chris Dunn. I, you know, I still, even today would make that trade. I just don't think the bulls were going, you know, I still believe in these guys in their development eventually. And in two or three years, you're going to look back and say, you know what, that was a good trade for the Chicago Bulls. Do you feel, first of all, I want to get your opinion on that trade. Would you make that trade again today? And second of all, do you think we could take advantage of it again in, the, in that, you know, Zach Levine's at a similar spot right now that Jimmy Butler was, that he's uh-huh. on a good contract, he's got two more years left. And as much as I love Zach Levine, I have serious questions about giving him a max, a max deal, which I think he will get. There's guys, if guys who are scoring 25 points a game are going to get max deals. What say mm-hmm. you? Uh, in terms of the trade, I think gut instinct, knowing what we know now, would I make that trade again? I, I would probably lean no, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I just think when you see what Jimmy has turned into, um, and w- when I envision a roster constructed around Jimmy and a bunch of young dudes, which is hypothetically a path the Bulls could have gone down, I think you see the way that that's played out in Miami. And it's pretty hard to argue with those results, too. Um, I also think there's a level of building around Jimmy where you have a little bit more cachet uh, with superstars around the league. He obviously had a friendship with Kyrie Irving that was well-documented, things along those lines. So uh, I might prefer my spot if I'm the Bulls right now if if I had built around Jimmy Butler this whole time than than where we are now. But that that doesn't mean that I'm out on the pieces that the Bulls have entirely or that I don't think it can work out. Um, Just just playing the results and, and give my opinion on what we have. Uh, or what we've seen so far, I should say. Can we hold on before we go to the Knicks? I just want to stop right there. If the Heat lose in the first round this season, would you still say that's true? Assuming that the Bulls make the playoffs next year and the Heat never get close to an Eastern Conference title with Jimmy Butler. Uh, well, I'm not ready to assume that the Bulls make the playoffs next year. So I, I, I'm not I'm not sold that they're there yet on their side. Um I don't know. I, I guess I would have to see the nature of the loss if they do. If they do go down in the first round, I, I would. Pick, I'm they're they're locked into play Indiana as it stands right now. So um, I, I'm picking them over Indiana. I think they'll get Milwaukee. I don't think they'll beat Milwaukee. I think they'll give Milwaukee a pretty tough run. I, I do see Miami though. Um, just the way they play, I really like the way they play, and I think they are one of those teams that's kind of one injury or, or one good break. Um, away from being a threat to make it out of the East or at least make a run in the conference final. So, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. I could be totally wrong. Um, I would have to see the nature of the loss before coming to a to a, uh, a full decision there. Um, and in terms of the Zach thing, yeah, it, it's an interesting question. I mean, it, it's it's it adds to the frustration of this season in particular, one where there was supposed to be growth across the board. That was something that was expected because now you've basically taken a year where he individually – um, you know, kind of broke out and became uh, a top 10 scorer in basketball, in my estimation. Um, but you've now kind of toiled away one year on this deal that is super, super affordable relative to his production league-wide. And now the clock is ticking on, well, if things don't turn around soon, um, we might have to start thinking of this guy as an asset rather than a building block. Um, and that's not a place that I think anybody wants to be with Zach Levine because he's a guy that's embraced um, the kind of face of the franchise mentality 
Uh, he's a super good dude. He works as hard as anybody, uh, you know, well, well liked and respected in the locker room and, and all that good stuff. Um, so it, it is kind of an unfortunate place to be. I think you're right though, to fix it on next year. Cause next year really, really is a pivot point, um, with this. And the one thing, the, the one thing I'll say on the contract, the max contract, I, I wanted to mention this, uh, Bobby Marks of ESPN had a piece today, uh, breaking down the particulars of, of a, what a Zach Levine extension could look like. And actually the bulls uh, from the bull side are actually in a decent spot with him because for better or worse, he hasn't made any all-star or all NBA teams and hasn't built up, um, uh, a bookshelf of, of hardware in the NBA. So yeah. he's not at the moment, he's not in a position to necessarily demand a designated veteran extension, which are the ones that you see balloon into these super max, these James Harden, these Steph Curry deals that um, are so exorbitant. Um, so depending on how it all plays out, the bulls could be in a position where they get him for uh, a little bit more of a team friendly deal. Again, down the line, it's way, 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 way too early to speculate on any of that though, because um, even though he is extension eligible this summer, I, I can't imagine him um, wanting to sit down at that table yet without knowing the direction of the franchise. Uh, and I would just bet he'd want to give himself another year or two um, to continue to build his value up so that he can maximize you know, the amount that he's able to get when he does sign that. Well, I, I, um, from the Bulls' yeah. perspe- perspective, I wouldn't do it either. Would you feel comfortable giving Zach Levine a max, like an extension for 27, 28, 29 million a year? So right, right now, the max, as it stands today, if they signed him tomorrow or October 18th or whenever the next soonest date is, the max they could give him are an additional three years on top of the two left um, for an additional $76 million. So that would go, uh, I believe, it's from $23 million the first year um, after these next two years, then to 27 then to 29 Now, that's a deal I actually think I would be comfortable giving him if yeah. I was the Bulls just because it locks him into – what I still see is a very team-friendly deal, given his production and given the fact that he has gotten better every year. Um, but that's a deal that I just don't see Zach taking because I think if I'm him, I'm looking, I'm taking the long-term view here. I'm saying let me clear this spot in the league's history that we're in right now, where the CBA is so uncertain, and let me get to a spot where my value is a little bit higher league-wide and I can maybe secure um, even more money than that long-term. But if I'm the Bulls, and actually Zach came to me and said hey, I want three years on top of the two years that I'm currently owed, and for only another $75 million, I actually would think pretty seriously about it. Yeah, in the COVID era, maybe he would take that deal. And I I, I didn't know, I mean, you're right, that it seems a lot more manageable, but we don't really know where the you know the cap is going. Uh, if yeah, no, I, disappear. I, I, I don't... I don't think he would necessarily be open to it, but that was just a thought that crossed my yeah, head. Yeah, what you, you great point though. I mean, I agree with you 100. percent Assuming there was no COVID, I'd be all over. I'd absolutely offer the three-year extension on those numbers. I wasn't aware that those were the numbers were that low. Um, so yeah, I'd absolutely do that. Um, great, great in- insight there, uh, Rob. So appreciate that. Want to get a little bit into the draft before we wrap things up here. Um, you know, so this to me, this is a draft where I've had feelings like this before, where I think the best player in the draft could easily be at seven, twelve, or fifteen. You know, it, yeah, it's just not. Nobody's. I, I'm not a fan of Wiseman. Uh, I'm not a fan of Ball. You know, to me, all the guys I've watched so far, and I still have a lot more work to do. I love Obi Toppin. Uh, he's my favorite so far of the guys I've seen. But you know, the Bulls have enough power forwards on the team. You mm-hmm. know, who who do you like? Uh, top three guys right now. The guys you've looked so far. Who who would you rank one, two, three? So we're gonna disagree because my number one. Uh, I think by a fair margin is Lamelo. 
um, in terms of just a guy with upside that I think is so tantalizing and at a position um, and not only is a position to need for the Bulls, not necessarily in that they need a point guard, but they need someone of his skill set that can set the table for other guys. Um, he just has such transcendent potential as a passer. Um, and I think he could just really do a lot for a team with his ability to um, to spark fast break, um, to, to be creative, ball fakes, you know, take guys off the dribble. I, I just see a lot of potential there, especially standing, what, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, um, the defense is going to be it's going to be nuclear levels of bad for the first couple of years. Like there's no getting around that. Um, but I, I have a little faith that he competes and he's long. And I think with a little coaching, um, the shot selection concerns and the defensive concerns could melt away over time. Um, now that's of course where a reasonable skeptic could uh, step in and say, well, who's to say the bulls are the situation where you could trust that bringing a guy in the building would actually help on the developmental fronts. I think that'd be a reasonable thing to say, but, um, Lamella would be my number one. Um, just in terms of taking a swing, I just think this franchise can afford to to take a swing right now, especially in a position to need like that. Yeah, my my issue with the ball is the same issue I have with his brother. It just doesn't shoot the ball well enough. I think he was like somebody showed me a stat. I think he was twenty five percent from three. Every time I watched him, I've just been like, you can't you got you can't be a guard. I mean, it's just, it's just essentially the same issue we have with Chris Dunn. He's exceptional at defense. But he can't hit the three. Ball is exceptional at passing, but he can't hit the three. You know, I guess he he could technically develop that 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 skill and ability, but I don't know, man. If you're not shooting it, I just think that's something that's really it's really hard to see that kind of growth uh, or improvement from three. You kind of have to be a little bit further along than twenty five percent. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it is. It, it's either twenty five or I think I might have seen somewhere in the twenty eight, twenty nine. You know, when it's international, sometimes. Um, different sources of stats can be different. Yeah. Um, I, a lot of those just from watching them are on kind of pull up contested threes. And I think, again, the shot selection needs to be coached, but I think if he was taking better shots, you know, in the flow of an NBA offense, uh, now whether, again, whether that's the Bulls offense or not, you know, would remain to be seen. Uh, I, I could see those numbers getting a little bit better just by nature of being in a, in a better situation. Um, the mechanics, I'm not a shot doctor. The mechanics definitely look sketchy. I mean, so did his brothers coming out of school and he's turned himself into a pretty good shooter in New Orleans. So, um, I, I, am willing to bet on it. Um, but it's definitely a valid concern. Who's your um, number two? Yeah. Number two. Uh, so I wasn't thinking of these necessarily in order and I'm actually torn. I have four names that I was going to come out with, but, um, another guy that I would be excited about is, uh, Denny Avia, uh, from uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. I, I've watched a lot of him over the last week. And not only watching him play, I mean, there are holes to poke um, in his game uh, playing-wise, but when you think about guys that fit uh, what Karnaschovas has said um, is his preferred play style, I think Denny could blossom into a player like that. Uh, again, a, a great passer, a great basketball IQ guy, uh, at, a posi- at good positional size, you know, he could play either wing spot. Um, again, I think there are questions defensively with him, there are questions as a rebounder with him. Uh, but he competes. I, I watched his um, uh, an interview with him with uh, Mike Schmitz of ESPN where they broke down film of his, and I kind of fell in love with the way that he thinks about the game. Um, I, I'd recommend that to anybody who's looking to, to catch up on these guys. Um, I, I would trust his developmental path a little bit because I think he sees the game at a very uh, advanced level and is, and is kind of committed to getting better. So I, I like Denny. Uh, the jumper's a question with him too, but mechanically he's a little bit more sound. And it got better over the course of the year. It got markedly better after the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic stoppage um, over in Europe. So, 
Uh, he, he's another guy I'd be excited about. I don't know if he'd be number two on my board overall, um, but projecting where the Bulls are going to pick, I could see him uh, being an attractive option there. Uh, and then number three is a wing guy. Uh, I like Isaac Okora out of Auburn. You watch him and you see Jimmy Butler. He's just a, he's just a bulldog defender. Um, gets after loose balls. Uh, I think he could slide one to four defensively, um, guard guards and bang in the post a little bit. Um, again, I'm listing all these, uh, you said you value jump shooting so much and now I'm listing all these guys with questionable jumpers. Um, but he's, he's, he's such an explosive athlete and I think a good cutter, um, that he'll be able to be positively impactful, uh, offensively. Um, I, I, and I think the jumper again with him, the mechanics are fine. Um, get him in an NBA offense, get him in an NBA building. And I would have faith. I'd bet on his athleticism and I'd bet on his defensive instincts. So those are the three that I came in with. Um, an honorable mention there. I like Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa state. Uh, there's a great spot up shooter for you, but he, and he brings, um, a lot of the same kind of pick and roll, uh, maestro passing ability, uh, of LaMelo in a little bit more of a, he, he's got a little bit of a higher floor though. So those are all guys that I've been looking at recently and that I would be excited about if I was a Bulls fan, uh, personally. Yeah. Uh, going back to Denny, cause he's been the high, I mean, he's been kind of like the high riser. I've, I've everybody's yeah. fallen in love with the guy. As soon as I saw that he shot the free throw percentage less than 60%, I pretty much ended the evaluation. It's not great. Shooting is just so important in today's game. And even when you have extremely valuable players like Dunn, who are you know, elite, is an elite defender, he can't shoot. It just hurts you. It kills your team. And uh, I don't know. Like, just I, I, As soon as I see that, that's why I feel every, every – I don't know if you feel this way. Like I've been doing evaluation for several years now, and he's – it, there's so many big red flags with all these guys. It's unbelievable. Like Ball, mm-hmm. you know, Ball can't shoot the three. The, the one redeeming factor of Ball is that he, he is a pretty good free throw shooter. He's, I think I saw he was like 80-plus, which is always a good sign to me that there could be development, but his, his mechanics are so screwed up. You know, I don't yeah. know if it's going to work. One more guy I did want to get your opinion on before we, before we wrap this up is uh, Anthony Edwards out of Georgia, who – I like a lot of what I saw, um, besides the fact that he shot, you know, twenty nine percent from three at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I almost vomited when I saw that. It was his final, but he does everything else really well. I, I think he's. I'm a, I'm a big fan of a lot of stuff he does, and he can, he can score. You know, he's, he can get you a basket when you know the shot clock's coming down. He's got he's got that kind of ability to get to the rim. I really like a lot of stuff that he does. Would, do you like him? Yeah, I, I, I think he's probably the best pure scoring prospect in the draft. I think that'd probably be fair to say. Um, I, I, I do think you're right. He's physical. He gets to the free throw line. Those are things I like. Uh, and again, I think he's a dude that, similar to LaMelo for me, where um, the raw shooting percentages, I think you could expect a little bit of positive regression there um, in a better situation. Obviously, that Georgia team, there just wasn't a lot of talent around him. He was asked to do a lot. Um, and, and he's another dude that I think when I've watched him speak, um, thinks the game really well, is really keyed in on areas that he knows he can improve, um, and uh, it seems to be committed to improving those areas. I, I also think defensively, uh, he's got a lot of tools. I mean, yes. he's just such a he, – he comes. he's got an NBA-ready body, and he's physical, um, and he obviously fell asleep on that end a lot uh, in his freshman year, but um, I, I think that's an area where if he commits, he could really be uh, kind of an impact two-way guy. Uh, for the Bulls, I, I don't know if it's the mo- the environment that would be most conducive to growth for him. I think he's, his skills are um, perhaps a little redundant on the team just in terms of being a bucket getter. 
Um, I- I'm hoping, and the reason I like guys like Hal Burton and Denny and LaMelo, um, in spite of the red flags, is because I just I-, I think this team is in need of a table setter that could really um, break down defenses and be an impact guy while also you know keeping an eye on others and, and setting the table for others. So um, for that reason, I-, I don't love the Edwards fit with Chicago, but I do like him as a prospect. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, four or five years from now, we were looking at him as the best player out of this class because it's kind of a questionable class. And I think he'll be a guy that puts up good raw scoring numbers for a long time. Amen. Rob, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. Tell everybody where they can find you, uh, you know, online, on Twitter, and, uh, you know, also any anything, any articles coming out? Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's at Rob underscore Schaefe, S-C-H-A-E-F on Twitter. Uh, Bulls Talk Podcast, appreciate you plugging that earlier. Um, definitely check that out. We're up twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have a ton of stuff. Uh, I won't spoil too much, but we'll have a ton of stuff up for the lottery. And uh, after that, we'll be in overdrive, draft mode. So um, we'll get to see how these takes that I'm laying out there develop over time as I get a little bit more into the film and numbers and, and talking to people and stuff like that. So um, yeah, definitely look out for all that. I just hope we don't end up at seven again or I'm going to take a lot of flack. <laughs> A lot of flack. But <laughs> what's, what's, what's the adjustment? What's, what, what does the prophecy become at that point? <laughs> I don't know. i gotta, I got to meditate on it for a while. But I, I have a bad feeling that the Red Sea is just going to come crashing in on me if, if, I, if it's a seventh pick again. But who knows? I mean, this is, like I said, a draft where, you know, Curry was drafted at seven. This best player could easily be at seven. And in fairness to the Bulls, I love Kobe White, Wendell Carter yeah. Jr., and Laurie Markin, I think they've done very well at seven, you know. So uh, I, I, if, if they end up at seven, it won't be the end of the world. I just think I'm going to take quite a bit of heat for my uh, predictions. Well, I think this is the one draft where everybody, the consensus seems to be they would be all right at seven because of all the things you just listed. It's kind of it's kind of a crapshoot of a draft, which probably means they're going to come away with the number one pick. So we'll look forward <laughs> to that. All right, brother. Rob, thanks again, man, for, for your time tonight. Uh, can't wait to, to continue to follow your career. You've been awesome, and uh, I'm looking forward to your next visit on the Bullseye. No doubt. Thanks, Brad. Have a good one, bud. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.